live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. Uh, and we've got uh, Mike Mayock saying bubble butt uh, three different times. This is the press box. Like when they're deciding to draft a player, is that what they talk about? Well, like Gruden's like, oh, he's yes. a football player. And Mayock's like, no, no, this guy's got a bubble yeah. butt. Or the best thing in the world for them would be have both. With Grady and Bischoff. Like you're not only a football player, but you have a bubble butt and you don't play your groin. I mean, if you can get that trifecta, then you've got something. On ESPN Las Vegas. The bubble butt, who knows what position he played, and um, and don't pull your groin. If they could have that, they could, I mean, they could win the division if you have a bunch of those guys. Bunch of bubble butt football players. Yes, from Clemson. I just turned up the volume on my mic. I didn't hear any of that. I was kind of worried. I thought like a, my mic was broken. I couldn't hear anything. Well, Why would your mic be the thing? Not the mic, the volume. Oh, okay. yeah, I, I, I heard nothing. I'm like, I think we're starting. It's after 7 o'clock. Well, Tanner Muse does not have a bubble butt. No, but he went to... Didn't he go to Clemson? Yes. He did go to Clemson. He checked uh, one of the three boxes. No bubble butt. Went to Clemson. If you want to go third box, he checked. It was his birthday this week, I heard. So ESPN 1100, 100.9 FM. It's Ed, Tyler, and Jared. He's going growing there. Speaking of the Raiders. The first bite. Should John Gruden feel pressure? Should and does are two different things. This is a fun quote. Yeah, it it is. I think think if you don't make the playoffs after four years in this league where everyone makes it in an average of a year and a half, he should. I don't think he does. Here's what John Gruden told uh, Vinny, who you can hear over on Radio Nation Radio, uh, but at the Review Journal, I don't really feel pressure, Gruden said. Mark Davis is going to let me know if it's good enough or not. So there's a few things that are fascinating about this. First off, as you mentioned, he has not made the playoffs in three years as the head coach. You would think that type of head coach would feel pressure. You would think the guy going into his fourth year without a playoff appearance would feel pressure. And for him to say that he doesn't feel pressure, he might just be saying that, but it's be be very strange to not feel some pressure. But the part that's more interesting to me is the Mark Davis part. Because first off, Mark Davis is going to let me know if it's good enough or not. Shouldn't John Gruden know if it's good enough or not? Like, I don't think we need Mark Davis to tell Gruden if it's good enough or not. If the playoffs kick off and the Raiders are at home, Gruden better know it's not good enough (laughs) after four years. I I threw that stat out there. Maybe it was two and a half. I think we had the stat yesterday on the, in the last several years, it takes so many years for people to make the playoffs in that league. Four was ridiculous. Like four is like yeah. everyone makes it within four years. Like yeah. even if it's just one perf- one good year, you make it every two and a half years. I remember the exact number, but it was under four. If you're playing the over under game, it was definitely under four. So if he doesn't make it this year, that's four in. But again, I don't think I don't. I mean, I I don't think he feels pressure because I think he understands how much the owner loves him. Which is my second question here. John Gruden says Mark Davis is going to let me know if it's good enough or not. Does Mark Davis actually walk down to wherever John Gruden is and say, hey, man, that was a failure. Hey, that's unacceptable. Hey, that's not good enough. Does Mark Davis actually I, criticize John Gruden? I was I, just going to say, I don't think Mark Davis calls him man. <laughs> I think he tells him it's not good enough, but in, but there's a, a caveat to that to where, you know, sometimes, most times when the owner after four years no playoffs and we're talking as if they don't make it, not good enough would be followed by I have to make a, I have to make a move. This, I think, would be like, hey, it's just not good enough. We have to be better. We have to do this better. And then he'd walk out of the room and Gruden would come, you know, he'd go on to the next year. I don't think there's any way. What, let me ask you this. What would constitute, do you believe, in year four, 
and I don't think this could happen because they're good enough to win eight or nine games. They're not going to like have some horrible season. But is there anything in your mind that would constitute him getting fired if they don't make the playoffs for a fourth straight year? Uh, I mean, <laughs> wouldn't it have to be just a complete four disaster? Wins or less, yeah. possibly. Yeah, it would be. Would Which be, isn't going to happen. Yeah, and I don't think that's going to happen no. either. So. No, if they win six, seven games or more and they miss the playoffs, I I think he's back. Because, again, we've talked about this throughout the offseason. Mike Mayock's right there as a meat shield if this season doesn't right. go well. He's right there as the perfect, hey, things haven't been good enough. We're getting rid of the general manager. John Gruden's sticking around, but we're getting rid of the general manager. That's the change we need. They did it last year with Paul Gunther, middle of the season with Paul Gunther, and now Gus Bradley's here and Raider fans are convinced Gus Bradley's going to be the one to fix the defense. Gus Bradley's going to be a significant improvement on Paul Gunther. But if that doesn't happen again, you can't go back to the defensive coordinator and just say, well, it's his fault again. So there's got to be something else. And Mike Mayock is right there as the perfect sacrificial lamb. Yeah. So if they, I mean, we've talked about it and I think the, the assumption is widely held by a lot of people. If they do not make the playoffs that Mike Mayock is probably getting fired because not making the playoffs in year four, isn't good enough. And there's, you got to do something at the end of year four. If you don't make the playoffs, I mean, hell they did something during year three, but as far as getting to Gruden, yeah, I think it, it would have to be a, we would have to watch this year and like they win like three or four games and we would have to be like, Oh wow. The in-game coaching blew it. Yeah, I, I just don't think that's going to happen. I don't either. I think they're going to win eight or nine yeah. and miss. But let me ask you the other thing. You, you talk about sacrificial lambs. We've talked not only about uh, Mayock, but we've talked about Derek Carr. I thought Jerry McDonald from the Barry had a pretty interesting tweet yesterday. He said, the Raiders restructured Ngakwe, Kwiatkowski, and Nassib for Capperly for K.J. Wright. Interesting, they did not restructure Derek Carr. And I think the inf inference there is you don't have to restructure him because if they lose and don't make the playoffs, you can move on. What, do you think there's anything to that? He said it's. He goes. It's interesting. One, they just completely left alone because he's not owed any money after this year, right? Right. It's, it's, he's, yeah. You can just it's move either on zero from or him. like two million or whatever I, it is. I don't it's, know if there's anything to that, or maybe they just said, "Why would we restructure it when he only has one year yeah. left?" So, all right. To tie into that, John Gruden. I don't know if he was just talking and got lost in where he was trying to go with this point, but this quote was also fascinating to me. He said. I'm not going to say we didn't want Khalil Mack here or Amari Cooper, but you have to take a look. You have to look at a lot of things. You have to look at the budget of the team. You have to look at the desires of the players too, what they want. The big thing is whether it's general manager, the assistant coach, the head coach, the scouting department, department, the salary cap guy, the owner, whoever wants to be involved in acquiring the player. The big thing is when we do get the players here, Let's get the quarterback to play great. No matter what else we do, let's get the quarterback to play the best he can play. If the quarterback's playing good, you have a chance every week. That's what I know. Okay, so he went all over the place yes. in that in yes. those three or four yeah. sentences where he started off talking about Khalil Mack and Amari, and Amari Cooper, Cooper. And he kind of <laughs> threw Mark Davis under the bus when he said the budget of the team. And then he started bringing up all these other people involved with the organization about how well, if these guys want the player on the team, we got to listen to them. None of whom we believe have right. power. <laughs> but then ended up with the quarterback. Yeah. And if the quarterback's good, then your team's got a chance. And that's what's fascinating to me. How good does he think Derek Carr is? Because Derek Carr has been a good quarterback. Absolutely. He's been a good quarterback. Hasn't been great. You can certainly find better quarterbacks than Derek Carr. Well, not fine's not the right word, but there are better quarterbacks right. than Derek Carr. 
but you could absolutely do much worse. So it's fascinating when he says, Hey, it's all about the quarterback. When you make yeah. any roster decision, I read that and think Derek Carr's on this team next year. I mean, unless he's awful, but if the same thing happens next year, like it did this year where Carr is solid and they miss the playoffs cars back next year. Oh, you John do Gruden, read it that way. Cause John Gruden thinks he's good. Okay, it's it's interesting that we both we read it differently. Th- to me, this is the first time in the last well since we've been covering this team since you know it was announced they were coming. Two things and we've talked about the first one that stood out to me with Gruden. First, it was an offhanded comment I told you he made about I've got to go check with the general managers on some player. Yeah. But he just gave the inference that Mike Mayock has power or that he decides who's on the team. And it's just interesting to me on this sense that he would bring up his quarterback in this way. See, you read it one way, and I read it where he says the quarterback has to play well. He has to be the best he can. Maybe I'm wrong. I read it in that he was also not throwing Carr into the bus, but as he did with Mayock, kind of putting them out there in case things don't go well. It's like, hey, I said the quarterback needed to play well. He has to be the best he can. It wasn't that way. I'm just wondering if he's looking for, which is ironic given I don't think either of us believe he's going anywhere. He's got this 10-year deal. And maybe it's his ego. He's got a big ego like all NFL head coaches do that they haven't made the playoffs. So now it's time maybe to throw a few people out there that if it doesn't go well this year, it goes wrong. He can always say, you know, hey, you know, this is what I said. This is the first time he's really mentioned to me a quarterback or a GM in a sense that, are you saying it's on them this year? I don't know. I think it's hard to point the finger at Derek Carr. I think it's I really totally agree with that. To I think he's been good at enough. Derek Carr when and, and again, the assumption is this season goes a lot like last year. It's hard to point the finger at the quarterback who's actually playing pretty well. Yes. When your defense is underperforming and it's primarily underperforming because the guys you've drafted or signed have not played very well. Like when you look at the Raiders defense over the last few years, it's been the signings of Corey Littleton or LaMarcus Joyner, where they spent a bunch of money and the players aren't any good. Or it's been the draft picks of Cleland Furl or Jonathan Abram or Damon Arnett, who just have not been good enough NFL players. That I think is where you point the finger. And so that, even though everybody believes it's John Gruden making those decisions, that if you're firing somebody is Mike Mayock. So I think it's really hard to point at the quarterback. And I think like when I read that, I basically read it as, Hey, every decision we make, it comes back to how does this, how does this help or hurt the quarterback in John Gruden's mind anyway. So when they make a decision on, Hey, the offensive line, how does this help or hurt the quarterback? And what can the quarterback do to over help overcome this? That to me is how I read that. And Derek Carr's playing well now because of the way Carr's contract is structured. If he regresses this year, then he's, I could see him being gone for sure. No doubt about that. If Carr, if Carr takes a step back, then the Raiders could absolutely move on from him. But if he's good again, then I, I don't see any way the Raiders move on from him unless, you know, the Aaron Rodgers option is open or something like that. If he does better, if if he plays even better and improves, well, forget it. Well, if they make the playoffs, he's going to make a lot more than 20 million next year. Um, and deservedly so. Like I said, I mean, we were talking about this last night. I was at a fantasy draft, and one of my colleagues and I were talking about it. And we're talking about, you know, uh, quarterback salaries and everything. We both looked at each other like, that guy's as good a bargain as you're going to find right now. What's he make, 20? Yeah. I mean, in that league, with how, what he's produced, I mean, he's a bargain. If he makes the playoffs, he's going to get a huge raise. And I don't think any, anyone would have a problem with it. I think the interesting part will be, like you said in the beginning of this conversation, if they don't make the playoffs, if they win 7-8 and they don't get in, 
There's going to be a fall guy or two who that is. You're right. Mayock's the leading candidate. He's the star, starring role in that sense. Is there any other fall guys? I don't know. I do wonder offensively how much John Gruden looks at this offense this year as a, as a kind of a prove it to Derek Carr. Can you elevate this team? Mm-hmm. Because if you look at this offense, we talked about it during the offseason. What's a proven what's proven on this offense? Darren Waller's really good. Yes. And the running backs, Josh Jacobs and Kenyon Drake, yeah. should be good. And then whoever ends up being the third running back throughout the course of the season. But the running backs and the tight end are good. The wide receivers are we don't know what we're getting. They haven't done anything. The offensive line, we don't know what we're getting out of the offensive line. Other so, incognito. I just, Other than healthy? him. And it, well, that's the thing. Yeah. When he's healthy, he'd be the one guy we would probably yeah. know what he's going to yeah. do. So you look at this offense, and I think this is there's a little bit of, hey, Derek Carr, prove that you can elevate a team. Prove that, okay, we gave you an offensive line that's not really high paid. It's not really a star-studded offensive line. Make it work. We're giving you wide receivers that eh, they were early-round draft picks, but they haven't really done anything in the NFL. Make it work. And if he does make it work, Great. If the offense takes a step back this year, there's a chance John Green looks at it and says, "You're just you're just not the guy to elevate teammates." So are you saying and not and look these the and it's not you know I'm not it's not a shot at car because no one should be put in this sentence I don't think. But what is the kind of you know definition of Brady all the time? Well, he just can make anyone good. Right. He, you know, it doesn't matter. He doesn't matter who his receivers are. I don't know if we've seen that from Carr. Do you believe Carr is good enough to do that? No, I think that's been the biggest problem for Derek Carr in his career is he is not the guy that elevates his teammates. And when he had, you know, Amari Cooper and Michael Crabtree and what did they have the highest paid offensive line or mm-hmm. something? Then, oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, he had some really good seasons and now it's okay. You've got Darren Waller, who's one of the three dominant tight ends in the NFL and of course, he had a good season. They had a high-paid offensive line. Granted, the offensive line was not very good at run blocking last year, but that sort of car has to have good players around him to succeed. He has not really proven that he can be a great NFL quarterback without having a star-studded lineup. Like the Packers and Aaron Rodgers, there's part of a reason why they never draft a receiver in the first round. It's because Aaron Rodgers can make bum right. receivers look competent. He literally looked pointed at a guy who was on the practice squad and went, why don't why don't why don't we get him? Some why rest? is that guy on right. the team? <laughs> and not that Derek Carr has to be Aaron Rodgers, but that's the difference. Is the Packers can say, "Hey, we're spending all of our picks on defense and offensive line or whatever the hell they spend it on. Go make the wide receivers great." Derek Carr hasn't really done that. There's a reason Henry Ruggs wasn't good last year, right? I get. I make. Can we say he did it with Nelson Aguilar? Yeah. Did he make Nelson Aguilar great last year? I'm curious. Great, to see I don't know, does. but he made. You know, Nelson Aguilar had a pretty nice season. I, maybe Nelson Aguilar's hands changed. Does Derek Carr throw an easier pass to catch than what Carson Wentz, whoever the hell was throwing I mean, Aguilar? Because yeah. Aguilar went from like second highest drop rate in the league to what did he drop? Like one pass last year? Yeah, he didn't <laughs> have any drops at all. <laughs> he was yeah. like, oh, his hands finally yeah. work. Maybe he just throws an easier ball to catch than Carson Wentz. Maybe well, that's all it is. I mean, Amari Cooper famously always had like drops really badly. Absolutely. So it may not like it may just be the one of those things where it's like certain guys want a bullet to their head and other people are like gently wafted into my arms. All right. Coming up next, oh, a fun detail on why the Broncos quarterbacks are morons. Is Tyler a know-it-all? Can you prove him wrong? Tweet at Bischoff underscore Tyler and at Ed Graney. Did Coach Saban ever use the expression D's nuts? Oh, man. Coach Saban has his way of doing things. He's definitely a character. He's definitely funny. Is that a yes, Jalen? Hey, he he may use that. He may use something else. Um, (laughs) 
He has jokes though. It's funny that you you bring that up because I don't know that it's just funny. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Nick Saban makes these nuts jokes. <laughs> I I don't see that, but maybe. I mean, he, 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 he has, has, just said. He says stuff like that. He has to be funnier. The Affleck commercials give a little sense that he might not be completely dry. So he has to be funnier than he is in front of the media. I, he just doesn't like the media, so maybe that's it. There are, you know, there are college coaches like that, Tyler. Don't want to be around media. Don't like media. Don't like to talk to media. Well, they're out there. All right. There was an L.A. Times story oh, man. about the NFL, how they handled last season during the pandemic. And it was one of the big details was how the NFL had, like, in its back pocket a potential 10 game schedule in case they couldn't play a full season. And that would have bumped the season back a month or so, but maybe the most interesting detail was this one. John Elway made several frustrated pleas to Roger Goodell to postpone the Sunday game until Tuesday when the Broncos quarterbacks would be available. Now, if you remember the Broncos played a game last year without a quarterback on the roster and the NFL refused to postpone it. The league denied those requests because surveillance video from Denver's facility showed the quarterbacks had tried to fool the system. They had removed their contact tracing devices and put them in the four corners of the meeting room. Then they sat together to watch film. The close contact automatically made them ineligible to play. So there's a lot to break down here. Was one of them positive? Yes, I believe that's why. One of the quarterbacks I was, say, was well, positive. Let's just the give out the reason of why they even did this stupid right. thing. Two, whose surveillance video was it and who actually caught them? That's a good question. Because, not to say the Broncos would cheat, but if it's the Broncos surveillance, is there a... I mean, you're supposed to turn them, I would assume, but... It makes me wonder whose surveillance was it. It was probably the Broncos, and they probably did the right thing. But when you see that, you're like, oh, that's interesting. These guys are win-at-all-cost guys. That's why Elway was begging. I'm a little – am I too uh, negative to presume that I'm surprised they turned their guys in? They wouldn't try to hide it more? That's why I'm asking yeah. you the surveillance. Is it a third party? Is it like, you know, hey, Joe, you're part of the team. Get up there and watch the video. But if you see anything, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, yeah. It surprised me a little. And I, I, I'm – I'm not glad someone was positive, but it makes sense because we, when we're at the Raiders, we wear tracking devices the whole time. And I thought, you didn't take this off just because it like itched or something, right? Like, why, why would you take these things <laughs> off? Like, it, it's, you just wear it around. Um, so if one of them was positive, I guess they all looked at each other in the close contact, and so we better get them off. They well, no, no, they nobody pot nobody. They didn't know they were positive when they were together. Now this they makes just, it even worse. Why did they take them off then? Because they wanted to sit next to each other. Because the rules were you had to sit so far away from each other. The Denver Broncos had no quarterbacks in a game because Jimmy and Johnny and Mike and Steve wanted to be in the same row of seats. Yes. Hey, it okay. was Drew Paxton. I know. I, but okay, now completed again. Yes. I thought you said in the beginning when I asked no. you someone was positive. They, that guy would have been and, home. That guy would have been out of there. And if then he we're was like, positive. and then we're close contacting. We're like, we can't be next to Paxton. This was the reason? Yes. No. It's That's why. 
Okay, I, I, I give up. I, I give up if they well, literally cared about sitting next to each other in right. a film room, so they took their tracking devices off and put them in all four corners. We give Goodell a lot of crap, but there's, like, a point oh. where he, he's just, like, on the phone with John Elway yeah. going, John, the, the, they were being idiots. Yeah. Your quarterbacks are idiots. I wouldn't have. You're playing without yeah. them. If I if I'm Goodell and I know that's why they Get did it, your I said, team in order. I say you not only have no quarterbacks and take your running backs too, <laughs> because if you actually had four dudes take off their tracking devices because they just wanted to sit next to each other, I might take the center as well. It's like, are you kidding me? That's the reason. <laughs> wow. At least Kirk Cousins was like, I'm gonna put myself in a plastic bubble. Wow. I'm curious your thoughts on this because during last season, there were some games that got. I mean, we had complete schedule changes throughout the yes. year. We had a game played on Wednesday that got pushed back from, uh, it was actually a, it was supposed to be a Thursday game that got pushed back to the next Wednesday. We had a lot of schedule changes, and there was a lot of criticism towards the NFL of people saying, we don't understand why the NFL will postpone or move some games and why the NFL is forcing, like in this case, the Broncos to play when they don't have any quarterbacks. Should the NFL have told us this when this happened last year? Like, should the NFL have come out and said, listen, Drew Locke and Paxton Lynch and whoever the hell else was in that quarterback room took off their tracking devices and went and sat next to each other. They all became close contacts after there was a positive test. We're punished. We're effectively punishing the Broncos because they could have avoided this and they didn't. Yeah, I absolutely think they should have been more transparent with it. And I'll tell you one thing, because you don't know, like you said, did someone have it? Did someone not have it? You know who else I'm probably want to know? I, if I'm the books, I want to know if they're, if someone's hurt or healthy or something like that. And in, in terms of, because, you know, the, obviously now that the whole, the, you know, the, the joke is up about the hypocrisy in the NFL and gambling, they're all in now in gambling. So when it comes to stuff like this, you need to be transparent of why guys are out of the lineup. I want to know whose idea it was. Not to say anything, or no, no. Was it Drew, uh, was it Drew Locke's idea to take off the contract tracing bands? I think the a, whole thing's weird. Hold did, on, did I, they, I went to go look to see if they had a practice squad like quarterback or something. Like, I mean, the, like I just want to know which of those quarterbacks is like, all right, guys, I I'd really want to sit at the same table as you, but we're not allowed to. That's weird. If we take our bands off and put them in the corners, nobody will know. I think it's very strange. <laughs> I hope there's security camera footage of them taking off their bands and then one of them waving to the camera. Yeah, exactly. Oh, we got Mike up there. He'll never turn us in. He's the only one watching the surveillance <laughs> video. It had, And that's the other thing. It had to be, I mean, Goodell should have been more transparent, but surveillance had to be the Broncos. I don't think the NFL had surveillance on all 32 teams. That I mean, I assume it's just teams have videos in their facilities. Yeah, and, and they saw it. When the Broncos had an issue, the NFL said, "All right, let's let's see your oh, tape." Which, it, it had to be Brett Rippian. Brett Rippian, <laughs> that's the guy. Which is interesting, given that the surveillance was probably through the Broncos, and yet it was Elway begging time and time and time again, "Don't do this to us." Well, then you know what? Talk to your quarterbacks. Why are you talking to Goodell? <laughs> Talk to the four dudes that took off their tracking devices. <laughs> Blake Bortles, Jeff Driscoll. I'm telling you. This is a murderer's row of guys. Who are the that, four? Who are the four? I'm tra- well, right now it's Brett, Drew Locke, Drew Locke, Brett Rippian, maybe Jeff Driscoll and Blake Bortles. I'm trying to figure out the timeline here. What a team. What a group of quarterbacks. Not only are they terrible on the field, they're terrible <laughs> off the field, too. Locke trying to be a leader? I'm the quarterback here. Let me lead. <laughs> Everyone take it off. Well, hey, he said we have to do it. He's the guy. All right, coming up next... 
We get into some UNLV and Arizona State with Michelle Gardner of the Arizona Republic. Do you want to schedule a parent-teacher conference after hearing Grainy's grades? Call the Press Box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678 and let us know who deserves a higher grade. Well, I think that, number one, Goot's doing a heck of a job kicking the ball, and uh, I think that's really, really a, a really good deal uh, for us. We've seen that throughout the camp and, and what we've been Offensively, we got to make sure we're not turning the ball over. That's, that's a, that's a one-possession game, and uh, we got three turnovers, and, and it can't happen. You know, We've got to do a good job of taking care of the football. We've got to be better on third down. Uh, we're 5-5 five five in the red zone. Um, did some good stuff defensively. You know, I think we did a really good job. Our intent is to stop the run. Um, but that's a good football team throwing the ball too. So I think that Indiana is gonna be something we're gonna really hone in on. We got some good teams coming now, so it don't get a lot. It don't get no easier. Uh, we got our work cut out, but uh, I'm excited to see these guys get back to work because I think they've got it. I think they've got the right mindset. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Be part of the conversation on the Finley Kia text line at six nine one eight seven Finley Kia. Come see a Kia on West Sahara. Joining us now is Michelle Gardner from the Arizona Republic. You can follow her on Twitter at mgardnersports. Michelle, how are you this morning? Hi, Michelle. It's not bad for a morning. What can I say? There you go. Uh, So first, I just want to start kind of in general. How's Herm Edwards as a college coach? He's been there for four years. A little bit of a strange career change for him. But how has he been as a college coach? You know what? He is the most one of the most refreshing individuals I ever had have had the pleasure of being around. He's candid. He's charismatic. Everything that you saw on your TV screen when he worked at ESPN is who he is. He's very engaging. Uh, he's just a joy. He's he really is a joy to work with. Do you think the sense was, as Tyler said, when it happened, people are like, "Oh, really? Herm Edwards is going to uh, go coach ASU." Was there a sense, do you think, locally, like, okay, how long is he going to want to do this? Is this really going to be his passion? It seems like it's been more so that than maybe people gave him credit for in the beginning making that kind of jump. But have you seen that locally in the response to him that, oh, maybe this guy's in it for the long haul? Yeah, the response definitely was very lukewarm, I would call it, at first. Um, but it's one of those things where if you look at where the team was when he first got here, they've kind of slowly, gradually gotten better each year. And I think he's definitely won over most of the fan base. Now, there's a little bit of the holdover of the Todd Graham era, you know, but for the most part, he's pretty much won over the fan base until this whole NCAA investigation thing kind of happened. Now, you know, that's a little bit of a black cloud looming. So, okay, what's like pressure like for him, given that there is that investigation, but also this team is ranked in the top 25? Like, what is the pressure in year four for Herm Edwards? You know what? He, I think for this team, it's kind of Rose Bowl or bust this year because this is his fourth year. This is, you know, obviously they've got kids now that he recruited since he got there. Um, this is his team. They've got 20 returning starters. They've been pointing to this year. And the other thing is, if you look at this investigation looming, who knows what's going to happen after that. So if this team is going to finally get over the hump and get to the Rose Bowl, they need to do it this year. And they've got the talent that they could do that this year. I'm not sure you can help us here if the three assistants are still on administrative leave. If that if that's the case, I assume winning's going to kind of quell the reports and, and, and the interviews in terms of the questions to him about this. Can you update us on the assistants? And 
I guess, you know, until this really gets uh, hot and heavy with the investigation and the interviews, if they keep winning, it's probably not talked about as much. Yeah, I mean, everybody knows it's there. Like I said, it's kind of the black cloud looming over the program. Uh, the three assistants are on paid administrative leave. The interesting thing about that is they are the three youngest coaches, and all of them are considered dynamic recruiters. And this is where the violations have kind of been, you know, it's, uh, the alleged violations are in recruiting. The one thing we're all a little surprised, or some of us are, is that Antonio Pierce is kind of still in the loop. Now, he's the defensive coordinator, and he's also the re- recruiting coordinator. So if these three guys allegedly you know, have recruiting violations and he, they work directly for him and report to him, you know, the only thing I can think of is they didn't want to make that massive a change while the investigation was still going on. So they make some changes. You know, they put three guys aside. Maybe that you know, shows the NCAA, hey, hey we're trying. We, did, we made a move. But maybe with the talent that's on this team, maybe they're waiting for the season to play out and for, you know, the NCAA investigation to pan out and and finish before they take any other further steps. Michelle Gardner with us from the Arizona Republic. So you say it's Rose Bowl or bust this year. They're in the top 25. Is that a legitimate chance for them? How good is Arizona State this year? They're very good, but I think the South is really good. So, you know, when you look at the results last week and you look at the fact that five of the six North teams lost, and some of those were just abysmal losses, and five of the six South teams won, and UCLA was actually the team to pick, pick to finish fourth by most people in this uh, in the South, and look at how good they've been. So I think they can win. They definitely can win it. There's going to be a lot of competition because the South is is better than people think. Don't sleep on Utah State. They could finish eighth in the Mountain West. Uh, Michelle, uh, talk about Jaden Daniels. He was a young kid when he started, uh, I think, the first true soft, correct me if I'm wrong, in in program history. Last week, 10 of 12 for 132. It seemed like they ran the ball a ton of rushing yards with a lot of kids. So what type of team does UNLV uh, uh, face this weekend? Second part of that, I assume it was pretty vanilla against Southern Utah, and it might even be again this week given how favored they are. What type of team do you think we'll see against a team that they're favored by 34? Well, you know, it's funny you say that because we kind of all thought the same thing. And lo and behold, they go out and run this fancy end around, and we're all in the press box going, they're really going to run this stuff (laughs) against Southern Utah? Like, we were surprised. And then they rolled out a uh, two-point conversion pass. So, you know, they showed one of those plays. And Zach Hill, the week before that game, the offensive coordinator, who I'm sure you guys know well because when he was at Boise State, but Mm -hmm. we asked him that question specifically. And he said, oh, no, we're going to do us. We're going to do what we do. So he he basically said, no, we're not going to you know, hold things back. And then lo and behold, they go out there and they run those plays and we're all looking at each other going, okay. So that's the answer to that question. (laughs) Um, As far as the Jaden Daniels question, I think, you know, you look at last year and his numbers were rather pedestrian, but you also have to consider the circumstances of the season and the fact that they only played four games. Their first and their second game were separated by a month. They had one game played in terrible weather where you didn't want to throw the ball. And then they had the game against Arizona where they were up 32-7 to at the half, and you're not necessarily going to throw in the second half. 
So I think you can't really read much into those numbers. I think what we have all wanted to see from Jaden Daniels is more accuracy on the intermediate routes. Uh, sometimes he gets a little erratic when it comes to that. So just more consistency. Um, and the other thing is he needs to kind of get in sync with these receivers. It's a relatively uh, young group of receivers, and sometimes it takes time to get on the same page with those guys. Okay, so what kind of trick play is Arizona State going to score on against UNLV? We got like a hook and ladder coming this weekend? I don't know about that. We didn't even see that last year. But, I mean, who knows? I'm just saying that, that we were a little bit surprised with a couple of those plays that, that they ran. Now, here's the funny thing. So, you know, they've started closing off practice, as most teams do. You know, the media gets to watch teams, the guys stretch and maybe go through a, you know, drill or whatever. So, I don't know what the main reason is, but we used to get 40, 45 minutes access to watch practice, and now it's been down to about 20, 25. So we were kind of joking, saying they're all worried about the media watching their practice <laughs> and getting things out there, and they're the ones throwing out plays that they don't need to throw out and putting on tape for a future opponent. So to me, it's it's... I don't know, whatever. <laughs> Let's. I mean, wait, do you cover UNLV? No, we'll pa- bypass on that, <laughs> closing up practices. Uh, d- will Arizona State fans try to track down the writer who mistakenly voted for Arizona in the top 25 this week, even though they've lost 13 straight games? Yeah, we've been laughing about that. You know, people mistake Arizona and Arizona State so many times, and it happens so frequently that we're all assuming that that's what that was. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, because even I think in one of the bowl games, I'm trying to remember, it might have been the bowl game two years ago where the head of the bowl is up there and he's like introducing the teams and he said, now the Arizona Sun Devils or something <laughs> like that. So it's, it happens a lot. You would be surprised how many times that actually happens. See, I know it happens in New Mexico with New Mexico and New Mexico State. It happens a lot where teams where you have a Arizona, Arizona State, and te- people confuse it across the country. I'm from Mississippi, and I feel like it never happened, but I think it's because it's Mississippi State and Ole Miss. It's not Mississippi State. And Mississippi, Mississippi. Right. it's Ole Miss. So exactly. I think for every state, the one of the schools has to go with some yeah. weird name so they avoid all the confusion. That's the key. Yep. You can't yep. just be Arizona, Arizona State. Well, right. I know it's not in San Diego. Uh, there's USD in San Diego State, and I pay far too much at USD for tuition for it to be San Diego State. <laughs> they never confuse those, believe me. Uh, Michelle, I did want to get your thoughts on Pac-12 expansion. The conference said they are not going to expand anytime soon, but we do see the Big 12 potentially adding four new schools. Do you think the Pac-12 in the next three, five, ten years? Like, what do you do? You think they add anybody anytime in the near future? Well, the new commissioner was asked that at Pac-12 Media Day, and he he said they'll look at all options, but they weren't necessarily worried about expanding. He said it's if they did, it would have to be the right school, uh, be it athletically, academically, uh, cultural fit. He said all of those things are very important. he didn't seem like they were in a rush to do that. And, you know, I hope this conference steps, and I hate to say that because if you look at the results the first week, nobody stepped up really. But uh, I, don't, I don't think in the next few years, you know, maybe really further down the, lo- down the road, five to ten years maybe, but I don't see that coming to fruition in the next few years. Is there any school that makes sense to you? Like, is there anybody you look at and say, oh, they would be a good fit in the Pac-12? Oof. 
That answers uh, the not, question. <laughs> not really. Not re- I mean, you know, I don't know. I, I don't think so. Maybe, you know, some people say BYU, but maybe they're better served in, you know, one of the other, right. with the other, you know, conferences. So I, I not necessarily. Some people said Kansas, and I'm like, Kansas? I don't know about Kansas. They're a terrible football program, and you want to have – I know that the commissioner has said multiple times that he really, really wants to focus on the Pac-12 brand when it comes to football and basketball because those are the sports that bring in the money. And if that's the case, I don't think you're adding Kansas. <laughs> well, she is Michelle Gardner from basketball. Yeah, just the basketball team. Just, just basketball. Leave the football yeah. team and Conference USA or something. She's Michelle yeah. Gardner from the Arizona Republic. Michelle, thank you so much for your time. Thank this you, morning. Michelle. Anytime. Take care. So we have talked on this show to now Michelle and also John, John Wilner, Wilner, two people that cover the Pac-12. Michelle did not even bring up, probably never crossed her mind, UNLV. And, no. And when no. we directly asked John Wilner about UNLV, I he basically no. laughed at us. Yeah. Did Kansas come up before UNLV? <laughs> John Wilner brought up Kansas, yeah. too. John Wilner said Kansas is the one that would make oh. the most sense. He was like, if it had to be somebody yeah. right now, it would be Kansas. Well, you flip a coin, you well, take the basketball you know, program in Kansas. Yeah. I but mean, like when I think of teams from the Pacific, I think of Kansas. <laughs> the Pacific Geographically, 12, it makes all the sense in the world. You mean Lawrence, Kansas you isn't get, on the ocean? You got to get into that Kansas TV market. <laughs> you got to get into that market. All right, coming up next. Are the Dodgers ever going to overtake the Giants, Ed? Our stats hogwash. Are you tired of hearing Tyler do math on the radio? Call the press box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678. Three and one. Here it is. And Fletcher takes inside ball four. So a lead walk to David Fletcher in the seventh inning. He becomes the first angel to reach base tonight. Blake wanted that call in a big way. One and two to Adele. Runners lead at second and third. Here's the pitch from Blake and a liner up the middle and into left field for a base hit. That's going to get both runs home. First hit of the night for the Angels is a two-run single for Joe Adele. And the Halos in front, two to nothing here in the seventh. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. That's a shame. Poor Padres. That's a shame. By the way, we've got a trip to Hawaii on the line. What? We do? Yeah. <laughs> LVSportsNetwork.com, the You Pick'em contest. So go to LVSportsNetwork.com, find the Pick'em banner, and then you'll be prompted on how to set up your account, and you will make picks every week throughout the football season. And, yeah, we got a lot of prizes, including a trip to Hawaii there. You do have to be 21 or older to enter, but it's at LVSportsNetwork.com, the You Pick'em contest. So... Is this true? <laughs> it's on the sheet of paper. Well, if it's in front on the of sheet me, of paper, it must be true. <laughs> it must be true if it's on the sheet I'm of paper. I'm not paying for the trip to Hawaii, so I can't confirm. <laughs> You're just reading up the sheet of paper. Yes. I'm just telling wow. you what you this have paper to... says. Why did Jared just call up to pick him and start making picks? Why did he do that on his no, screen? Why did you put your name down as Steve? <laughs> Steve. Steve from where else? Henderson. Steve has to go to uh you have to go to Hawaii with Steve Cofield. <laughs> Um, Jared, are we disappointed that the Giants are going to be the team that beats the Dodgers in the NL West and not the Padres? Yes, only because, and yeah, I got that they scored a bunch of runs recently, but the Giants are not fun to watch. I just mean for Ed's 
Oh no. no. Physical I, and mental torture. I want I want <laughs> the fact that every single time a Padre is up to bat, oh god, he's about to go yard. Instead no. of they're going to crush us with good defense and solid pitching. You guys want one game playoff and for Snell to actually finish a no hitter yes. this time. Instead of for the second straight game, almost throwing hitter, but Start I, giving up no, hits. And what I want lose. is I want dueling no hitters. Like Kershaw is coming, like and it's like, oh man, this both teams have a no hitter going. This is incredible. And then Tatis just just bombs, just one. bombs one into the parking lot of Dodger Stadium. It could we, happen. We could get one of those great videos happen. if if your son happen. is on top of it. We it could get happen. one of those great videos where the guy throws the remote into the TV yeah, and breaks just it. Break it. Oh, it could happen. <laughs> Do you still think the Reds are going to get the wild card? They're tied well, now. Yeah, I do. Okay. I don't think the Padres are that good. Okay. Padres play a lot of games against yeah. the Giants. Like, a lot. The Padres have, like, what, three games left that are not above, against a team above 500? Yeah. They play, yeah. The Angels sign three at the Dodgers, and then they, I think they start playing the Giants, like, every game. <laughs> they, for some reason, the Padres and Giants haven't played at all this year. Like, I looked at the schedule. I'm like, God, they play a lot down this stretch. The last 15 games are just And they're Padres, both playing Giants. for something. So, you know, it won't be like the Rockies the last two nights who sent up their A-ball team <laughs> to play the Giants, and it's 20 well, to nothing in the first inning it, every night. Isn't, I mean... Isn't half the teams in baseball, like, most of their wins are against teams that are basically going, we are not trying. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. A lot, of the like Dodgers, a, lot of- a lot of the Dodgers and Giants are because of the division they play in. They play some bad teams in that division. No, the Padres lose to all those teams, Jared. I know. That's the, the, Padres, the Padres beat the teams in the playoffs. Right. And they lose, and they to, lose the to the teams of the Rockies. Yeah, that's, that's just how they do it. Um. I do have a fun quote for you from the Astros game last night. So uh-huh. they, they came back to beat the Mariners. Watch that. Bad loss for the Mariners. Right? Yeah. Mariners are bad. now six and a half brutal. back. So Jake Odorizzi was the Astros starting pitcher. Uh, he threw five innings, gave up two runs. So it only thrown 66 pitches and got lifted before the sixth inning. He got asked afterwards about being pulled out of the game in the fifth inning. And his response was, honestly, I think it's bull bleep. And then he said, I'm glad we won. If not, I'd be the subject of blame. I had 66 pitches through five innings. I really don't know what needs to be said other than that. So well, he he's... is furious because the Astros have started pulling him when he gets to the third time through the order because his ERA when he faces the order for the third time is over nine. Okay. And he's upset that they're not letting him face the order yeah. for a third time, despite it being over nine. Too bad. Play for the Dodgers. You'll be out in the third inning. Yeah, you have a no hitter, and Big Dave will go out there and say, "Ah, oh, we got to save you for the playoffs. Save your innings." <laughs> Winning in spite of that guy again. Well, the best part is Jake Odorizzi's not even going to make the playoff roster for the Astros. Who's the, the worst outside. at handling pitchers, Dusty Baker or Dave Roberts? Dusty has been fine this year. Oh, okay. Well, I then, he, then I know who the worst is. <laughs> but I think it's because the Astros have a pitching coach, Brent Strom, who's like regarded as one of the best in the sport. So Dusty really doesn't make any and of I'm the under, decisions. I'm under the impression Dusty Baker does not make any single I, decision. I about think the, the like whole thing of Dusty getting that job was, and Dusty. You're just going to stand there and be like, I've been in baseball for a very I'm long Dusty time. Baker. I'm Dusty yeah. Baker. Yes. Which is what he does. Yeah. The lineup basically writes itself every day, and he's got a great pitching coach who makes all the pitching decisions. I think that's what and he, he gives quotes afterwards. That's what he does. He I wish Dave Roberts would look over at Mark Pryor and say, you got this, because I don't think he does it, because I think I think Mark Pryor is actually competent, and he's probably like, Dave, you're not going out there and getting him, right? You're not going out and getting Max, because Max has 18 strikeouts in five innings. Can we not go get Max now? What if Mark Pryor just wants more Kenley? 
What if Mark Pryor's over there? Like, we need a two out, two inning save from two Kenley inning save tonight. from Kenley. He's got six outs. Then in I'd him. get mad at him. <laughs> Mark Pryor. I'm mad at everybody. By the, the way. Name, Roberts. <laughs>